Guys, we're going through 1 Peter, and we've entitled this series through Peter called Passing Through. Because the reality is, is that Peter wants you to understand, he actually identifies his readers as pilgrims, strangers, those who are on a journey, those who don't belong where they are because they belong somewhere else. And so the reality is, is that you and I need to live in such a way in which we hold on loosely to this world because we're just on a journey. We're heading somewhere else. And so we've looked at how we see ourselves over the last couple of weeks and the importance of that. And especially we looked last week of the importance of that with regards to the difficult struggles that we face. And we do face difficult struggles, don't we? We go through trials, tribulations, the Bible would call them. Things that cause us to suffer and we don't know how to handle them. Today, he's going to go a little bit step further and he's going to talk about the foundation for your faith. Now, why, why is that so important? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. As you're in this world and as you are striving to be all that Jesus wants you to be and you want to look to him and you want to be the believer he's called you to be, you're going to get attacked from other areas. And the reason why is because there are things out there that are going to cause you to doubt, to question whether or not that what you're pursuing as far as Christ is real or not, to question your faith, to question whether or not it is truly through Christ that comes salvation. And so what we want to look at, first of all, is this issue of blind hope. So if you notice in your bulletin, I've entitled this section Blind Hope with a question mark because that's what you're going to face. You're going to face people who in our society, I just saw this is interesting, we are living in a society that's moving so quickly that people's perception of faith is changing. So now, faith is only relegated to simply, that's your personal belief, it's your private thing, don't share that with anybody else, and it has no relevance anywhere else because we live in a society of science and a society of laws, and your perspective, well, whether or not you want that or not, that's just yours, so keep it to you. And so those same type folks would say to you, you know, if you have faith in some guy dying on a cross for your salvation and you believe that there's something beyond here, you know, you're just, you just have blind hope because you can't really know for sure that you believe that. So I want to give you two thoughts because this does impact us. Here's the first one. Messages confront us daily that cast doubt on our faith. Messages confront us daily that cast doubt on our faith. Continually, there are things that pop up where people are wanting you to cast doubt on your faith because they'll say to you, well, have you seen God? Well, I've seen how he works. No, no, no. Have you seen God? Well, he must not be real. He must not exist. How do you know that Jesus is still alive today? Have you seen him? How do you know that he answers prayer? Isn't that just coincidence? 
they look at things that happen in the Middle East, and you know, every once in a while you'll see a report of somebody saying they think they found Jesus' body. Turns out to be bogus, but that's enough to what? Cast doubt. Is that true? Is it possible? First of all, folks, it's not possible. He arose from the dead. He didn't leave anything behind. He's not a spirit. You can touch him. In fact, isn't that what First John says? That which we have seen, our hands have touched concerning salvation. That's talking about Jesus being alive. But you and I are continually bombarded daily with messages that cause us to cast doubt on our faith. And, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that causes you to cast doubt on your faith is when you turn on the TV and you see people saying stuff and doing stuff in the name of Jesus and you're just kind of shaking your head like, well, that's not what I believe. And you almost are hesitant to tell people that you're a Christian today. And it causes you to cast out. And I'll be honest with you, the struggles that we go through and the suffering that we go through, that's big. But it's your self-doubts about what you believe. I'll be honest with you, that's the bigger struggle. Is he real? How do I know for sure that he forgives me? How do I know that there's something after this? So that brings me to my second point, which I've made the last few weeks now. And that is, you can never rise above your perception of yourself. You are not going to rise in your faith beyond your perception of yourself. And so if you are crippled, and there are some here who are crippled by doubts, you're bombarded with doubts. And if you're crippled by those doubts, you're not going to rise above it. Now let me just stop for a moment because I think I need to make this point though. First of all, here's what I want you to see. Doubting is normal if you want to write that down. All right? Doubting is normal. I've been a believer now since 1985 for 33 years. I'm going to tell you folks, there are still times that I still sometimes wake up in the morning and, and you wonder and you wrestle with doubts. Now, can I say to you that those thoughts don't always come from you. They come from other places as well. The fact of the matter is, is doubting the goodness of God, doubting his faithfulness, doubting whether or not he's going to do a certain thing in your life, those are normal. And actually, can I be honest with you, they can be healthy because as you struggle with your doubts, you always come around, hopefully as a believer, to the place of what? Reaffirming what you believe. Strengthening what you believe. In fact, I'll give you a good example. Have you read the Psalms lately? The Psalms are filled with laments from the writers who are expressing many times their what? Doubts about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, wondering where God is. And always, the Psalm always ends with them what? Coming around. Coming around and what? Praising the Lord. See, you need to recognize just simply because you're having doubts doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It's just a normal part of your life. But if you are crippled by them, that's going to affect your perception of yourself as a believer. 
That's going to affect your perception of yourself. I hear people all the time who say to me, well, I'm not sure if I believe anymore. Okay, that's wonderful. That's great. But my question is, tell me about the sincerity of your statement. Are you trying to find out if it's true or not? Or is it just simply a statement that you're making? See, if you're sincere, yeah, doubts are real. But if you want to show, see for sure that they exist or not, you're going to do something to pursue it, right? But if there's no sincere desire to even want to pursue, to answer whether the doubt is real or not, then that says a lot in itself as well. But you can be here, and you can be crippled by your doubts, and you're not going to rise above that. So now we come to verses 10 through 12. And what he's going to do now is he's going to lay a foundation for the truth that you are believing. For you to see that this is not just some made-up thing that happened overnight. But actually this is something that's a lot older than you realize. So notice with me. We're going to look at verse 10. It's going to be on your screen there. Verse 10 says this. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and search carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, into which angels desire to look into. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage. We're going to talk about a present fulfillment. When we talk about salvation... Right now, it's a present fulfillment. Present fulfillment of what? Of something that was talked about long ago. And you're going to see that what your faith is resting in, as you get ready to journey in this world, and as you are journeying in this world as a pilgrim, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to see that you have a strong foundation to base your identity in and your perception of yourself. So here's what he's going to say. A couple of things here. Six things, actually. First one. He points out in verse 10 that the prophets always looked for salvation. The prophets. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament writers. The Old Testament writers. And I would say, can I be honest with you? It started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when God cursed Adam and Eve and cursed Satan and talked about that there would be a seed that would rise up and crush the head of Satan as his heel is bruised. From the very beginning, there was a looking for of salvation. And that would be very real to Adam and Eve. Why? Because they just experienced paradise with God. They just saw how their sin ripped that all away. And now they're living the consequences of that. 
So much so that some scholars believe that when Cain was born, and she said, the Lord has given me a man, it, the, 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 some of the scholars believe that that was an expression of her thinking that the Savior had come. And that was the hope that all of the Old Testament was is for the Messiah, the one who would bring salvation. Although they didn't understand it, they didn't comprehend it, but they've always looked for this salvation. Folks, the salvation that you've experienced through Jesus. The prophets always look for salvation. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The prophets told of the grace that would come. Now, here, Peter, what he's referring to as grace, he's not talking about the mercy, per se, that would come to us, although it would come to us. He's talking, in particular here, about Jesus. See, Jesus is our grace. And the prophets foretold of Jesus coming and what Jesus would suffer. Fact, have you ever read Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is a pretty vivid description of what the Messiah would have to suffer for what? For our sins. So the prophets have always foretold the, that the grace would come, that salvation would come to us. That's what they were looking for. That's what they had faith in. They had faith in that which was to come. Folks, we have faith in that which has already come. Jesus. Jesus. So the prophets told of the grace that would come. Now, in fact, verse 11, he goes on and says this. Look with me at verse 11. At verse 11, he basically is testifying here of how the Holy Spirit, searching water, what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Here's what I want you to see. Through the Spirit, they testified of the sufferings that Christ would face. So it isn't just that they wrote down that Jesus was going to suffer. They wrote down because someone guided them. Who guided them? Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay, now stop for a moment. Here's what I need you to understand. When you read the Old Testament and you begin to understand what it's saying there, especially about the Messiah, where do you think that understanding came from? Is that because you're smart? Now, all of you are smart. All of you are wonderful. All of you are beautiful. Okay? But I'm going to be honest with you. In and of yourself, you have no understanding of the Bible. Can I be honest with you? You wouldn't be able to understand the Bible. But the reason you understand the Bible is because somebody enables you. Somebody enables you to understand what he led those prophets to write. Who's that? The Holy Spirit. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit. That fact that you can look into that word and see, yes, he did suffer for me. He had to suffer for me. And this is what he promised me. That's what the prophets were pointing to. That's what the prophets were pointing to. Here's the fourth thing. 
they laid the foundation for those who would believe. You know what the reason for the Old Testament is? The reason for the Old Testament is, is that it lays down a foundation of understanding, first of all, who God is. Who God is and his righteous acts. Who God is and his demands, his laws upon humanity. Who God is and the people who would be special to him, Israel, and the Messiah who would come, and the promises, even in the Old Testament, the promises for you and I to join in their blessings, all of it laying a foundation for the Messiah who would come so that we can understand what's there. And then when we get to the New Testament, guess what? We are introduced to who, folks? Jesus. See, they laid a foundation for your faith. You say, okay, now wait a minute, George. What does that got to do with me wrestling with doubts? What does that got to do? Well, at some point, if you're going to wrestle with doubts, even though our society wants to say that there's no truth, even though our society wants to say that there are no standards and it's a, whatever you want is okay with you, but what I want is okay with me. You know, we live in this postmodern world, but I'm going to be honest with you, even in our postmodern world, our postmodern world has standards by which, now they're always changing in our postmodern world, but they have standards. If you're going to wrestle with belief, if you're going to struggle with your doubts, you have to lay down in your mind that there is a standard of truth concerning faith and belief. And I'm going to be honest with you, the proper place to begin to build on is what the prophets said about it. Because I'm going to be honest with you, when you look at the Old Testament, you're not talking about a bunch of guys that hung out with each other. There are several hundred years separating them. And yet they're pointing to the same thing. There's a cohesion there. They're pointing to the same Messiah who would come that they longed for. So they laid the foundation for those who believe. You understand? It's been laid down. You don't have to, you don't have to question whether or not this is just something that was made up last week or 20 years ago, or 50 years ago. It's actually something that's been talked about for 4,000 years. Pointing to Jesus. They laid the foundation for those who believe. Here's, this, here's the next thing I want you to see. Number five. So, first of all, remember what I said the Holy Spirit is the one who empowered, excuse me, is the one who led them to write, who revealed to them the sufferings of Jesus and what he would have to go through, the Messiah. Now we see in verse 12 that he not only is the one who leads them to write this, he also empowers those who share it. In fact, that's the point here. The Holy Spirit empowers those who share the message of salvation. Look with me at what it says in verse 12. 
To them it was revealed not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean, George? Well, okay, I want everybody to think for a moment. All right, I want everybody to think about when you understood your need for Jesus and you accepted him, okay? So I want you to think, for some of you it was as a child, for, for me it was as a young adult, 19 years old, but for a lot of you it's at different stages. Somebody, everybody knows that somebody came and talked to you about Jesus, is that not right? Whether it was on the radio or, or maybe mom or dad or grandma or a Sunday school teacher or, or whatever. Somebody talked to you about Jesus, right? Okay. Somebody talked to you, right? Yes. Okay, alright. Now, what was it about them and their presentation that it clicked in your mind. Anybody know? Yeah, Holy Spirit. The reason why it clicked in your mind is because they were empowered when they spoke by who? The Spirit of God. And guess who's the one who gives you understanding? The Spirit of God. Isn't that what Jesus said? Nobody comes unto the Father except through me. Lest the Spirit, what, draw him? Okay, well, that makes a good point here to top for a moment. How many of you are so fearful of sharing your, your faith and you've shared your faith and you've been rejected and, and you were like, well, I just don't know what to say or I, I, do, I don't know as much stuff as George or the elders and, and, and so I don't even bother sharing and because I just don't know. What if they ask me about Adam and Eve and a belly button thing, you know? First of all, they're not going to ask you that. All right? First of all, what you need to realize is, is that you just simply proclaim, you just simply share. The one who convinces is the Holy Spirit. The one who opens up minds, Holy Spirit. The one who convicts of sin, Holy Spirit. It's not your methodology. It's not your education level. See, this is the point he's making here. He's wanting you to understand that as you are thinking about the foundation on which your faith rests, what makes that foundation so strong is, is that the Holy Spirit was the one who, first of all, led those to write it, who wrote it so that you could rest on it, but also is the one who empowered those to share it with you so that you could respond to it. The Holy Spirit is actively involved in your faith. Isn't that awesome? All right, now stop for a moment. That, that, that's a wonderful thing. So think about it. So you're wrestling with doubts. Oh God, are you really going to be there for me in this situation? Are you really going to provide? Am I, Lord, can you do this? First of all, here's the reality. If the Holy Spirit's within you, he's not shocked by your doubts. He's not. 
Remember Jesus said to a man, only believe. And he said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Now, did you notice the response after that? It wasn't, what do you mean you don't believe? That's not in the Bible. God doesn't respond that way. God's what? Affirming. Because the fact that you have doubts, the fact that you struggle with your belief, is because you are a robot. Robot. No, you're a human. We wrestle. But the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit empowers those who share the message. In fact, here's the final point. This is what blows, should blow your mind because when you think about what you rest your faith in, when you think about this great salvation that Jesus Christ would come, die on a cross so that you didn't have to do anything for your salvation except believe that he paid it for you and put your trust in him. Bring about this salvation, this forgiveness, this new life. The mystery of that. Because that just doesn't make sense. In fact, Paul says what in Corinthians that to the world around us, it's foolishness. Here's what he says as he wraps up his discussion in verse 12. He says, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look in to. What's he saying here? The mystery of our salvation is intriguing to the angels. Because, first of all, think about angels. They're not like us. Yes, there are some angels who sinned and they were cast out, but those who are not, the majority who haven't, the concept of salvation and God extending grace? That's beyond them because those of them who rebelled, their destiny is the lake of fire. Because of their sin. But for us, even in spite of our sin, God extends what? Grace. And so this great salvation that is the foundation of what you believe and is, is guiding you through your life, even the angels are intrigued by it. Isn't that awesome? It was foretold long ago by the prophets, empowered by the Spirit so that you can understand it. It intrigues the angelic beings around us. So what do we do with this? Well, let me give you two thoughts. Number one, I've already told you to write this down earlier in a different form, but I'll say it to you again. It is normal to struggle with doubts about your faith. That's normal. In fact, I'm going to say this to you. I truly would question you if you said to me you never doubt that just doesn't seem real now i'm i'm not just saying that you never that maybe you're past the point of doubting your salvation but you never doubt god because it's normal it's normal 
because you wonder, is he going to show up? Is he going to do what he promised? Is he going to work out this situation? That's normal. So first of all, it's normal to struggle with doubts about your faith. Always. Hey, I'm going to be, I told you, I've been a believer now for 33 years. I continually am facing things that test my faith and they cause me to what? Doubt the goodness of God. So that's the first one. Here's the second thought. You can be sure about the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. You can be sure about it. Why? Because it has such a rich rich history. Everything was pointing to it for a couple of thousand years. And the fulfillment of that in Christ. And even when you go to the New Testament... What we, what we are witnesses of, the story that we are witnesses of, is that so many saw him alive. And everything that he said would happen. And he even interacts in our lives now. So yes, you're wrestling with the goodness of God. That's normal. But you can always fall back on the surety of the salvation that you have in Jesus, which you rest your faith on. So let me ask you a question. Are you struggling? Look at why you're struggling. Because a lot of times the struggle isn't with Jesus and what the Bible says about him and the foundation of... It's actually because of your perception of God in the midst of what you're going through right now. Do you understand? It's because of your perception of God in the midst of the struggle that you're going through right now. I think it's interesting that if you look at the lives of some of the most adamant atheists, these are people who would flat out say that there is no God and they're angry about it. You can almost always point back to some sort of disappointment in their life with faith. With faith. It's not true in every case, but in most cases it is. And they're angered towards God because he didn't do something. We have a sure foundation, a strong foundation. So allow your perception of yourself to be founded on that. Let me pray for you.